Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that nobody needs to live with chronic insomnia and that evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques can help you enjoy better sleep for the rest of your life. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease, disorder or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counselling, medical advice or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Like everyone else, Pat experienced some difficult nights every now and then, but her sleep would always get back on track. However, last summer, her neighbours started throwing loud parties and this made sleep increasingly difficult. Before long, Pat found herself starting to fear falling asleep because she knew she would end up being woken by her neighbours. She soon started to pay a lot of attention to sleep and thought that something was terribly wrong with her. She was cancelling plans and would rearrange her life around sleep. Since none of these things led to better sleep, Pat adopted a radically different strategy. She decided to approach each day pretending that she'd had a good night of sleep. She went about her days as normal and pursued enjoyable and enriching daytime activities independently of how she slept. She also stopped talking about insomnia. Pat shifted her attention away from sleep and refused to allow sleep to control her life. She also stopped all attempts to control anxious thoughts and instead chose to acknowledge and accept them. The final piece of the puzzle came when Pat was able to abandon all attempts to control her progress and was able to accept that sleep is something that cannot be controlled. As Pat discovered, If we can place less importance on sleep and refuse to allow sleep to control our lives, sleep often becomes a whole lot easier. A full transcript of this podcast can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Very pleased to be here. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited to um, talk about your sleep issues, you know, what you did to try and tackle them and just to talk about where you're at today. So before we get started going through that journey, um, let's start at the beginning. Uh, can you tell us when your sleep problems first began and if you have any idea what caused those, that initial sleep disruption? Um, yeah, so it started this past summer um, in August. Um, and I had had a few nights prior to that where um, I had a difficult night's sleep, but it wasn't every single night. Um, and what had been happening, um, I'd say since about May, um, is that we had some rowdy neighbors, and they were having parties um, at night, and we were being woken up, us and some other neighbors. 
calling the police at 2 a.m. and things like that. And this became kind of not every night, but it was very disruptive. Um, anyway, so starting in around August um, is when my sleep problems became chronic. And I didn't realize at first that it was because of that. It took me a while, and actually after watching a lot of your videos, that it kind of a light bulb went on. And because I remembered saying to my husband one night when I got into bed, I'm actually afraid to go to sleep tonight because I know that we're going to be woken up. Mm -hmm. And so, and all of a sudden one day I said, that's it. I thought it was just, there was something terribly wrong with me. I've listened to a lot of your clients and a lot of your videos and people. And I, I thought, oh, there's something wrong with me. But then I realized that it was because I was now becoming afraid to go to sleep because I had been woken up so many times. So that's how it started. And then my reaction to not sleeping was very irrational. It was as if I had been diagnosed with a horrible disease. And I, I was almost hysterical. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Um, and then finally I found you and <laughs> you sort of made me almost feel like this is sort of normal and a lot of other people are experiencing the same types of things. Yeah. So that's, that's really how it started. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting how you, you have this clear memory, although it didn't seem obvious at the time you have now on reflection, you have this clear memory of what that initial trigger for the sleep disruption was and on reflection again um we can probably see well that makes sense that i would have sleep disruption you know dealing with neighbors mm -hmm. dealing with the concern i'm probably going to have my sleep disrupted dealing with the stress associated with it um and and then it's interesting because often once we've kind of adapted to whatever that initial trigger is we usually find that our sleep gets back on track but if it doesn't often we can again it's another one of these things in hindsight we can see that well maybe the way i think about sleep changed maybe i started to pay a lot more attention to sleep and think and worry about sleep more uh, maybe i even found it controlling my behaviors or i was controlling my behaviors in a bid to try and improve my sleep and it's often when we mm -hmm. fall into that part of the insomnia journey um, that we fall into this this stage where it's not really our sleep disruption isn't really down to that initial trigger anymore it's more to do with our response um do you identify with that as a kind of typical journey that most people with insomnia experience yes i do because um i've had difficult nights in the past um in fact i think it was in march uh, my husband and i were in new york city and one night i couldn't sleep the whole night i, I don't know why yeah. but the next morning I felt very tired, but I didn't even think about it. And we went home on the plane and I kind of dozed on the plane and I said, oh, I'll just get to bed a little early that night, which I did. And I slept fine. I never thought about it again. Mm -hmm. But this time, I think because I had night after night after night of little or no sleep, then it became just this um, feeling that there was something terribly wrong with me. So, um, and I started just paying so much attention to it. And, and I remember one thing that you said in one of your short videos that insomnia is like a schoolyard bully. The more attention you pay to it, the worse it becomes. And that was just 
I thought, wow, that is just exactly what's happening to me. So. Yeah. What what kind of ways can you recall that, you know, insomnia was affecting your life? And can you give us any examples of this kind of heightened attention or this heightened role you were allowing sleep or the idea of wakefulness to play in your life? Was it? Did you find that it was, for example, affecting what you chose to do during the day or was it more to do with just your thought processes around sleep? Um, a little bit of both, I would say. I do remember in um, August, it was my birthday and my son um, wanted to come over to give me a gift and we were going to celebrate and I just said, not this year, I'm just I'm miserable. I can't, mm. you know, I can't function properly. And he was very, you know, I explained to him what was happening and he was very um, surprised and I think kind of hurt. Um, but I said, next year, we'll, I'm sure it'll be better. So I remember that. And I remember um, just feeling really uh, just sort of fragile during the day. Like I could burst into tears and I, you know, and of course, my husband didn't know what to do and what to mm-hmm. say and um, that kind of thing. So, um, but it was when I actually started watching your videos and you talked about how a bad night's sleep doesn't have to set you up for a horrible day. And mm-hmm. after I watched many of your videos, um, I completely changed my attitude. And it was like night and day. I wasn't sleeping any better at that point. But I got up and I said, okay. I'm just going to pretend I had a good night's sleep and got, you know, dressed, went out for my walk. Um, and if I saw someone that I knew, I'd just talk and I wouldn't mention anything about not being able to sleep or having this problem. I just acted very normally. And that really changed a lot for me. And I give you all the credit for that because I was really in a bad place for a while. Mm. Well, um, first, first and foremost, um, I, I give you the credit because it's really hard, especially <laughs> at first, to change those behaviors, you know, and in the short term, it definitely does feel like a case of fake it until you make it. You know, this idea of going about your day as though you slept well, um, when the thing that you really probably want to do is just either stay in bed all day or just sit on the couch all day, um, try and conserve that energy. But in exactly. hindsight, that t- typically just leads to more fatigue. Um, the inactivity usually means more thinking and worrying about sleep. So that daytime inactivity is one of these things that we see that perpetuates sleep disruption and gives insomnia the oxygen it needs to, to survive. So I think it's one thing to hear someone suggest how about you just try going about your day as normal, do some good stuff during the day, but it's quite another to actually get that fortitude to actually do it because it does take time for that mindset shift to happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, it's hard when you feel, you know, I could get through the morning. Okay. And then by the afternoon I felt sort of leery eyed and, um, and you know, but I just thought I, I just have to do this because I know that, um, if I sit here and feel sorry for myself and it's just going to make everything so much worse. And so mm-hmm. I finally realized, wow, I, at the end of the day, I really had a good day. I, I wish I could sleep better. Um, but I did things. I accomplished things. I started reaching out to some friends to go out to lunch or something like that. Or if I saw my neighbors, I'd go up just to try to talk with them to get my mind off of, you know, my issue. But I never mentioned anything 
to anybody about the insomnia except for my family, my husband and my two kids. Mm -hmm. Those are the only people that knew about it because I thought that if I started telling my friends, then they'd be asking me about it all the time. And then I thought, that's not good because then I'd be talking about it all the time. So I thought, I'm just going to, like I said, fake it till I make it. And I think if you asked anybody if they ever knew I was going through this, they would say absolutely not Mm -hmm. because I was, you know, uh, still doing things as much as I can being in this pandemic, but um, still this summer, you know, getting to together with some people here and there. Um, yeah. So, and that just helped to act like, well, wow, I'm really, I really, you know, had a, a decent day. Um, you know, I wasn't crying. I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. And so, you know, the rest will come. I just have to be patient. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a a big thing about choosing to talk about insomnia and discuss sleep um, because, you know, the old adage is a problem, a problem shared is a problem halved or a problem solved. But often when it comes to sleep and insomnia, when we start to talk about, you know, difficult nights of sleep and how we're struggling, things like that, it does just bring more focus and more attention to it. Um, Mm -hmm. and it can almost like extend that negative feeling, um, and that negative relationship we can have with it. So I think that it can be beneficial to talk about how you're struggling, you know, with a small circle of people, just as you suggested. Um, but maybe just don't use that as a conversation starter or the core subject of your discussions with every single person you meet because it does bring more attention to sleep it kind of builds this insomnia identity within your personality as well because people might start to think Mm -hmm. oh here comes so and so here we go they're going to start talking about their insomnia and if they don't what do I talk to them about oh I know I'll have to talk to them about their insomnia because that's all they really like to talk about so um, mm-hmm. that's an interesting, I think that was a really interesting observation. It's interesting that you sh- mentioned that and, um, that you found that to be helpful. Yeah. And I even remember, um, my husband would get up before me and I'd come downstairs. Um, and every morning he would say to me, did you sleep? Okay. And mm. I would just kind of go, or I'd say, yeah, actually I did. But most of the time it was just kind of like, sometimes I'd burst into tears because I'd just be, yeah. you know. And then recently, now that I've been sleeping much better, um, I said to him about a month ago, I said, you know what, don't ask me anymore. If I said, I know you, you're concerned and you care, mm-hmm. but I said, I sometimes felt as though when I came downstairs, it was like, um, it was this anxiety I had that I had to, to say that I did sleep well, or I felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of strange. And so he said, okay, I said, I know you care and everything I said, and if you don't ask, I'm not going to um, think you don't care. I said, but it kind of just made me feel like I was put on the spot. If I'd walk into the kitchen and he'd be there, he'd get up and come over. Did you sleep okay? He was very kind. And, and I'm like, oh. so finally now he just doesn't say anything. He doesn't really have to because I am sleeping so much better. But, yeah. um, you know, but that I just, I felt like the more, again, the more attention you pay to it, just, you know, um, the worse it can be, or yeah, I, I think more, more so though, I just felt as though, um, 
it, it was like performance anxiety or something mm. that um, I had to come down and say, yeah, I slept great. I slept like a baby last night. And um, I almost never said that because it was, <laughs> you know, usually, oh, I don't know. Maybe I got two hours of sleep. Maybe I got zero. Um, so anyway, but that, yeah, but it's funny how you, you, I think that you think about these things that, um, you know, that are going to make things a little bit better. If you say, well, that's really bothering me that he's asking me this every morning and I feel better coming downstairs and just saying, hi, good morning and getting a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee and have a little chit chat, but no mention about sleep, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like I, like I already said, I think it can be really helpful and I like, but sometimes when I'm talking to clients, they'll tell me, but everyone, like for example, when I go to work, how do I deal with this? Because every, as soon as I get to work, everyone asks me about my sleep and about my insomnia because it's something that I'm so used to discussing. So I think what you, a good example to help overcome that challenge, as you just said, is just say to people, you know, I'd prefer it if you didn't ask me um, about my sleep. Uh, if if it's something that I want to talk about, I'll raise it um, and I'll, I'll yeah. broach the subject. Um, because like you said, especially when you're having a lot of difficult nights, it's hard enough to deal with those difficult nights, let alone then have to relive them again during the day um, if that's all you're talking about and all you're thinking about. That's right. Like I said, that's why I didn't tell hardly anybody about it because I didn't want to have to have people asking me all the time. All the time. And um, so, yeah, it's funny how when you're going through this, as I said, you know, there are certain things that you just know you you don't want to do or you don't want questions or something. And that was one of them coming downstairs. It was kind of like getting out of bed and saying, Oh no, you know, I felt like I was being judged or something. Not that my husband was judging me because of course he wasn't, but Mm -hmm. it was just this, when I stepped into the kitchen, like, Oh, (laughs) and he kind of, I think was bracing himself wondering, Oh gosh, you know? Um, So that worked out well. And um, because he said, well, I just, want you to know that I really care and I said of course I know that you do but this is just what's going to work so yeah yeah well that's good it's nice that you had you know, someone close to you that understood that um that wasn't that wasn't offended mm-hmm. by your request you know so, so many times we can feel nervous or hesitant to say that to people like please don't ask me about my sleep for example or even people that we're really close to um, for fear that will hurt their feelings or make them upset. We very rarely think about ourselves, right? Um, but sometimes mm-hmm. we do have to do things for ourselves. And more than nine times out of 10, I would say that the people closest to us do understand that when we raise the issue. Yes, and I think as long as you let them know, you know, in a nice way and you just explain to them how you're feeling and why you're making that request, then I think Mm -hmm. that makes all the difference. If you say, you know, don't ask me about that and I don't want to talk about it, then that's, that's a hurtful way to say it. But if you just say, listen, this is how I feel. I know you care, but you know, the more attention that's called to this, the harder Mm -hmm. it is for me, you know, and that's even, I think um, when I was dealing with my therapist, um, filling out the sleep log and reporting back to him every week, Again, I felt like I had this performance anxiety because I would, you know, two hours of sleep here, no hours of sleep there. And I just almost feel like a failure. And that's one thing that I I didn't like was that um, I just couldn't sometimes stand seeing how little I slept. Mm. And, you know, and then he'd say, oh, gee, you know, you, you know, 
I felt like I wasn't doing as well as I should have been doing and it was taking too long. And so, um, so that, that was sort of a bother to me too. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, he was a big help to me in many ways, but, um, that sleep log really bothered me a lot. Yeah. It is really interesting with, with the sleep logs, the sleep diaries. Um, sometimes they can be really helpful. Uh, for example, if we feel like we're not making progress, um, nothing's really happening. Sometimes they can tease out little snippets that suggest maybe we are doing a little bit better than we might think. Um, but uh, for some people and at other times, they can bring more focus and more attention towards sleep. So I, I def it's definitely not something that you must, if you want to improve your sleep, you must fill out this sleep diary, this sleep log every single day. I don't think that's helpful. Um, some some people find it helpful, but for some people it just brings more attention towards sleep when our goal is almost always to shift attention away from sleep um, and onto other things in our life. Yeah, and I that's that's just how I felt. I, I, I could see that, um, you know, I was making some progress based on the sleep log, um, which was good, but um, I don't know, I guess I... I, after eight weeks of doing it, I just felt like I, I had enough of it. Yeah. And then I started sleeping a little better, by the way. Oh, wow. Well, as soon as you stopped with the sleep log, you found that you were, you were doing a bit better. Yes. I, I think it was around Thanksgiving. I was in to this CBTI therapy, um, about eight weeks and I, I had made some progress, not as much as I would have liked, but I just, him that I said I'd like to just take two weeks off and we'll meet up again in two weeks and um, and in those two weeks I didn't keep the sleep log I kind of went to bed when I felt tired I got up at the same time every day um, I was very good about that and um, and I did sleep better during those two weeks I can't say I slept great but I got more sleep than I had been getting yeah um, so and then I decided to just to end therapy after eight weeks and to kind of go it on my own. Um, I felt like I had learned so much from your videos and from Daniel Erickson, um, mm -hmm. his insomnia insights on his channel, um, that I felt like I had the tools to um, keep going on my own. Yeah. It's, sometimes it can be helpful, if nothing else, to just experiment you know give yourself a couple of weeks if you feel like maybe a change would be beneficial for example not keeping a sleep log anymore if you just tell yourself okay i'm not really sure what the outcome will be but i'll give myself a couple of weeks so for the next two weeks for example i'm not going to keep a sleep diary and i'll see if i find it helpful or not um, if we just approach it with uh, an open mind a curious mind sometimes it might be helpful sometimes not but we don't know unless we try and it, it sounds like for you, you found that really helpful um, by giving yourself that opportunity to just keep on implementing the techniques and making sure that you're not engaged in those thought processes or those behaviors that can perpetuate sleep disruption. But just make that change where you're not just logging your sleep anymore. You're not writing it down. You're drawing a little bit attention, a little bit of attention away, a little bit less attention on sleep. Give yourself a couple yeah. of weeks, see how it goes. And it sounds like that was helpful for you. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> even now, you know, I, 
I'd say the last month, I really seem to uh, make a lot of progress. Um, and, but I don't ever think when I wake up in the morning, oh, how, how many hours did I sleep? Mm-hmm. I don't want to know. I don't care. All I yeah. know is I slept. You know, I wasn't wide awake all night. Um, it could be five hours. It could have been seven or maybe even eight, um, mm-hmm. usually five, six, seven. But I don't know, and all I know is that when I wake up, I feel fine. I feel rested. Um, I, you know, and that's all that matters to me. I don't want to um, get into that trap of, of feeling as though I need a determinate amount of sleep every night. I have to get seven or eight hours mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like that at all. I just want to know that I slept and I feel rested when I wake up, and I think that, that's that's the key really you know yeah and i don't think every night's the same i i think some nights you can sleep more than other nights and sometimes you have more awakenings than other nights and and that's fine i'm absolutely fine with that i don't doesn't bother me at all yeah it's, it's interesting how our mindset towards to use sleep duration as an example changes when we have insomnia if insomnia is something that hasn't been with you all of your life you can probably remember a time when you didn't really think about sleep. And if someone asked you how much sleep you got, you wouldn't have a clue. You'd kind of think, hmm, well, what time did I go to bed last night? What time did I get out of bed? And you'd just kind of figure out the difference between those two times because it's just something you didn't pay attention to. And when you had a difficult night, which is a normal part of life, again, it was something you didn't pay attention to, but it all changes when you have that struggle with sleep then you become really focused on things like sleep duration. You pay a lot more attention as well to how you feel during the day and especially in the morning. And it becomes mm-hmm. really easy to attribute, you know, any kind of ache or pain or niggle or uh, blemish on your skin, for example, with how you slept. Um, but because we're not paying that attention when we have a better night, we kind of convince ourselves in our mind that, Everything depends on us getting X amount of sleep. Right, exactly. And I found it interesting, too, you know, when I started watching your videos, um, how you talked about having these predisposing factors to um, uh, insomnia. And I checked all the boxes, you know, just a little anxiety about my health, you know, even mm-hmm. though I'm very healthy, um, you know, what I eat, exercise. You know, I'm a little too, I'd say, hyper-focused on those things. And I think you Mm -hmm. could probably put sleep in that category, too. All these things that you think are going to make you, you know, really healthy. Um, And so, and sort of being this perfectionist, which I am, I thought, wow, this, you know, I can see now why this happened to me. Because I have, I think, this underlying anxiety about my health, you know, even Mm -hmm. though I don't need to. But. So um, it's interesting, too, how that's one thing I did want to mention was that during this whole um, bout of insomnia, there were things about me that I sort of wanted to change in the way of being too um, hyper-focused on health and things like that. So I feel like that the silver lining, there was almost a silver lining to this because I did make some other changes in my life in Mm. response to the insomnia because... It's so funny. I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to care too much about this or that because all I want to do is sleep. <laughs> that was like, that's all <laughs> <Yeah>. I want. <laughs> like, 
you know, if I've gained two pounds, well, you know, that's okay. I, I don't care. I, all I want to do is sleep. If I, you know, my husband's making a mess in the kitchen, I don't really care because all I want to do is sleep. And, and so I did make some changes um, because I felt like I had needed to anyway. So this sort of facilitated that in a way. And I feel like I'm in a better place now, actually. And even having gone through this, uh, for several months, um, it, it was almost worth it to come to a better place uh, mm. and to make changes that I think have, you know, reduced some anxiety and um, that kind of thing. So it's funny how sometimes you do go, there is adversity, and then something good can come out of it if you pay attention. And I think you have to pay attention to all of that. So Yeah. Okay. Oh. I, I think you raised so many great points there. Um, I'm just trying to keep track of them in my head as we're going through it. Um, <laughs> you know, w one of the great points I think you made was going back a little bit earlier was some nights are different. You know, sometimes we lose track of that. We kind of expect every night to be the same. Um, if we ever, we sometimes we can place you know, really hard goals in ourselves. Like I want to get this amount or this type of sleep every single night. But that's not how life works. That's not how sleep works. Um, it's just like how every day is a little bit different. Every day is a little bit different. So it makes sense that every night is going to be a little bit different too. Um, yeah. And shifting that mindset can be helpful. And I think another great point you raised was being able to identify yourself um, either in others um, that have had insomnia for example just listening to these podcast episodes um or when you realize that you fit this model of insomnia you know this 3p model perfectly mm -hmm. uh, you realize that your insomnia isn't unique because that can be helpful because then you're like oh my insomnia isn't unique so that means that if i do what everyone else that had the same insomnia as me did to sleep better then surely that will work for me too and recognizing those you know the precipitating factors that might just push you a little bit closer to some temporary sleep disruption doesn't mean you're doomed to a life of insomnia it just means you might experience some difficult nights from time to time a bit more frequently than someone else it's always this well we need this uh precipitating event you know this initial trigger that's what actually makes the sleep disruption happen but it's always our reaction that determines how long exactly. that sleep disruption sticks around, you know, these perpetuating factors, the final P in that mm -hmm. 3P model that I, I like to talk about. Um, so as long as we can tackle those thoughts and behaviors, it might take time. We can't make progress. We can't command our bodies or our sleep to respond immediately. But if we work on tackling those thoughts and behaviors, we're always going to make progress sooner or later because that really is the oxygen that insomnia needs to survive over the longer term. Yeah, and um, I felt as though when I first started going through this that um, the insomnia was more a physiological kind of thing. And I had no idea that it was really all about what's going on in your brain and um, mm. the anxiety. Um, and that's one thing that was just, such so eye-opening and so educational when I started to educate myself about this and I got your advice and Daniel's advice and the videos and I thought oh it was like a relief because I thought okay this is something that's fixable um, and for me the biggest change was to 
to change my thought process more. The behaviors, of course, helped too, but I think with me, because I did have some of this underlying anxiety, changing my thought process um, and changing my attitude about this was really, really just, um, you know, really did sort of change things for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there was there was another great point that you made um, as well was that how you were talking about maybe now you've emerged from this. It's made you stronger and more resilient. So maybe there was a silver lining to all of this. And the the point that you made that I think really st- what that stuck with me was that what can happen is sleep just becomes our overall arching goal in life when we have insomnia, um, and it can be so easy to not pay attention to other things that would probably make our lives better as well other than sleep so we can Mm -hmm. for one a common example i can think of is we just put things off you know oh i can't go on vacation until i get my sleep back on track um i can't do this or that until i get x amount of hours of sleep Mm um but the the problem with that is then we put more pressure on ourselves to sleep and we just make sleep the number one focus in our life whereas if we can kind of take the opposite approach and be like regardless of my sleep I'm going to go on vacation regardless of how I sleep I'm going to be doing this and all those things that you then do are going to add enrichment to your life add positive moments to your life and draw attention away from sleep Um, and that can just be so beneficial because often when we think less about sleep, put less pressure on ourselves to sleep, worry less about sleep, that's when sleep becomes a whole lot easier. And in the meantime, you're also enjoying your life a little bit more because you're just kind of forcing yourself to do good stuff during the day and plan good things. Yeah, exactly. And I even started um, to do some volunteer work. I felt like I needed a little something else um, going on during the day. And I, it, the back of my mind, I said, well, what if I can't sleep the night before? It w- and I just said, I'm just going to get up and you're going to go and you're going to just do it. And, you know, um, and sure enough, yeah, there were times when I would show up for this work and I, I didn't feel very well at all or felt tired, but I just did it and, you know, and I got through it and enjoyed myself and talked to some people and, you know, um, it was fine. And so, yeah, or I'd make plans with a friend for lunch or something. And, um, it was when I went to bed, I thought, Oh no, what if, again, what if I don't sleep tonight? How am I going to meet this person for lunch? But I did anyway, whether I got five hours of sleep or two hours of sleep or no sleep, I just said, no, you're going to, and I, and I had a good time, you know, it wasn't like I was, uh, miserable. I, I enjoyed it. And while I was having lunch or doing what I was doing, I wasn't thinking about that I hadn't slept because I was I was focused on being with someone, talking with them and, and so forth. So I'd be better than sitting home feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. And so, yeah. So it's, I mean, it does, um, I was very determined that I wasn't going to let this take over my life at first. I was, you know, it was awful when it first started, but then I just said, I can't live like this. This is, this is crazy, you know? Um, so I was determined and I just stuck with the plan and, you know, um, fortunately things have, you know, worked out pretty well. So, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it really, it feels like maybe we're repeating ourselves, but I think it really is important because it is so much to do with mindset. Um, you know, b before, before we think about sleep or pay any attention to sleep, we can recognize that if there's something about to happen the next day, we might experience some sleep disruption. Um, and we kind of almost sort of expect it, pay no attention to it, don't worry about it. You know, an example off the top of my head is, Anytime I'm going to go on vacation, you know, the night before, if I know I've got to catch a flight, for example, I find sleep more difficult, um, but I don't let it phase me. I certainly don't then cancel the vacation because of it. But what can right. happen is our mindset just shifts completely when we have insomnia, especially if we've had it for a long period of time. And anytime we experience that sleep disruption, um, it really just fires up this whole cascade of worry and anxiety and it can make us avoid doing good stuff that would improve the quality of our life. And then as a result, we end up doing more thinking and more worrying about sleep and it kind of just feeds into that insomnia. Yeah, exactly. And that's why um, I think you just, you have to get on with your life, get on with your day. And I don't think there's any other choice really because to just be miserable all day or to like you said conserve energy because you said oh my god I didn't get any sleep so mm -hmm. I can't really do much today because I no I can remember um getting almost no sleep and in the morning you know I went out and ran three miles and I and I had my music on and I took a run and and I was I came back and I was just like so proud that I did that on hardly any sleep yeah. and and I felt good. The sun was out. It was, you know, a nice fall day. And I remember thinking, wow, I, I feel I feel great. Yeah, I wish I had slept better, but um, I still was able to do that. And, um, you know, it just made me made me sort of I felt strong and I felt like I can yeah. I can get through this. You know, it gave me strength. Um, and so, yeah, but it's you know, it takes it takes a lot of um, willpower to, or, or, or just, I guess, or strength or uh, get your mind, your head in the right place to do that. Because it's, mm -hmm. it's easy to do the opposite, to do nothing. It's just lie and lull in bed and maybe pick up a book and think, oh. So, um, you know, it does, I was determined. And yeah. so, um, but it's, it's not easy. <laughs> No, absolutely. And, and it is definitely way, way easier to, you know, be more sedentary during the day. Um, but I bet, you know, especially that first time that you just kind of forced yourself to go out for that run, for example, um, if nothing else, I bet it just improved the quality of that part of the day, if not the whole day, that part of the day um, compared to had you just have stayed at home. And I think the other bonus is sometimes it we can recognize when we do these things, we can recognize that we can be remarkably capable, maybe more so than we give ourselves credit for, even when we have difficult nights or if we're living with insomnia, you know, the def the mind by default wants to try and protect us and it sees insomnia as a threat. Mm -hmm. So it says, no, there's no way you can work out. Don't do it, don't do it. It's kind of screaming at you not to do it. Um, right. But then when, when you do it, you might notice, wow, um, let's use running as an example. I covered an amazing distance or I ran in pretty good time, bearing in mind I didn't get much sleep or I got no sleep whatsoever. And when we can realize that we might be a little bit more capable too, 
um, regardless of how we sleep, we might then put less pressure on ourselves to sleep and worry less about sleep. And then that helps mm -hmm. us get to that point where we think and worry less about sleep and start to sleep better. Yeah, and one thing that stands out in my mind that I, I when I was listening to one of Daniel Erickson's um, videos, he was saying how when you have these thoughts in your brain about, oh, oh no, I'm not going to sleep tonight, I'm not going to sleep tonight, um, instead of sort of diverting your thinking to sort of welcome those thoughts and say, I hear you, brain, I know you're trying to warn me, but I'm okay. I'm not frightened. Mm -hmm. I'm if I don't sleep, I'm okay with that. I'm you know, he always talks about sort of befriending wakefulness, as you do, about getting up and doing something you enjoy. But when I started doing that, that really changed a lot. It was it was really interesting how um I started falling asleep a little faster or if I would wake up in the middle of the night, I I think I mentioned to you in an email that I hated getting out of bed. Um, and so I would take myself on this visual journey of a trip that my husband and I had taken and kind of like narrate the whole trip in my head, which was something very pleasant. Mm -hmm. So I could stay in bed. Um, I didn't have to get out of bed, but I was, I was very happy and calm and thinking of a lot of very good memories. And that's another thing that helped me too, because, yeah, I think I would have made progress a little sooner had I gotten out of bed more, but I kind of really struggled with that, that part of mm. the therapy. Um, yeah. But I think welcoming the, um, I should say, if, when, I was, when I was getting these thoughts and um, instead of trying to divert them to welcome them and talk to my brain that way, that really seemed to be really right on. It was like, wow, I was... I was amazed how much that helped me. And then yeah. I noticed now I'll still sometimes get thoughts in my head, but they're fleeting. They sort of just go in my in and out of my head, and then I'm thinking of something else. So the thoughts about sleep are much less than they were, you yeah. know, before I wake up, and that's all I think about during the day. It was, oh, my God, when is this going to end? I can't stand this. Another day of this is horrible. So, but I found that... Um, insight to be extremely helpful mm -hmm. so what what kind of thoughts were you were you finding it was this similar kind of thoughts each time that would come up you know whereas in the past maybe you try and force them out of your mind or push them out of your mind and you gradually adopted this approach of you know well these are just thoughts thoughts are just thoughts um they're not necessarily true they're not necessarily predictions of what's going to happen um did you find there was a common theme were they the same kind of thoughts cropping up time and time again yeah it was basically i was just wanted to know when was, is this going to be over you know when mm. am i gonna am i ever going to sleep again um and after i found um your videos and daniel's um then I knew that I would because I knew that there is this therapy. There's it's, everything you said just was like, oh, my God, it made perfect sense. Um, but my getting back to your question, my thoughts were about when is this going to end? Um, how much longer is this going to go on? Um, I, I knew there was nothing wrong with me. I knew that. I figured that all out at that point. Um I knew that there's nothing physically wrong with me, but I guess it was just one of these things where, you know, 
is, is tonight going to be better? Is, uh, you know, I, I never knew what I was going to expect. I think when yeah. you're going through that, you know, sleep is um, very unpredictable. You could have a, a good night and then you could have three nights of lousy sleep and then another, you know. Um, so that's what was going through my mind. But I kept trying to just kind of um, swat them away and not think about them. Um, and because I thought that that would be bad to sort of ruminate. Mm. And to, but, um, but I think if you talk to your brain that way and you say, I hear you, because your brain is saying there's this perceived threat. And, mm-hmm. But if you say, I hear you, but I'm not afraid. Um, and that really, like, seems to help. I was, like, amazed. So. Yeah. I, I think that when you try and push these thoughts, certain thoughts out of your head, it just confirms to your brain that they are serious and they are something it has to worry about. That's so, therefore, it. it pushes back even harder. Whereas if you take the approach of you know, okay, mind, bring it on. Give me all these thoughts. I'm ready for them. Um, then maybe your brain's like, oh, they're telling me to think about this. He or she is telling me to worry about this, think about this. It might, Maybe it's not quite a threat after all. Maybe I don't have to pay this much attention to it. And I think that's where it can be so beneficial to get to that point where you just welcome these thoughts or at the very least just recognize thoughts for what they are, which is just thoughts, you know, just little bursts of chemical electrical activity in the brain. Um, It's really all to do with our reaction to those thoughts that determines, you know, what is, what it's going to do to our stress levels um, and, and, and what our relationship with our, with our thoughts is going to be. Exactly. And I hadn't realized that. I thought that the answer was just to, not think about it and um, that that was going to make everything worse. So it just seemed um, it, kind of, I don't know, counterintuitive or whatever to, to, to welcome those thoughts um, as opposed to trying to divert, you know, attention away from them. Um, so I found that to be very, very useful. Um, yeah. And, uh, I heard Daniel talking about it and I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that from now on. And he mentioned too the visual journey and, you know, take yourself to a place maybe you've been that is beautiful. And, and, and that's what I did. And, um, you know, narrated through the whole trip where, you know, when we left and where we went, we went to dinner here and did that and all these nice memories. Um, and that's, was really great because I was lying there thinking of something really pleasant not oh my god when am I going to get back to sleep I'm so miserable mm-hmm. what time is it um you know and that was the other thing you both of you mentioned was not to check the clock and that is just such so smart and I even now when I'm sleeping so much better I still never look at the clock doesn't matter yeah you know, it just doesn't matter what time it is. I know my husband gets up at 5.30 or 6, so I know what time it is when he gets up. Um, but I don't, you know, if I wake up, I don't care if it's 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock or whatever it is. It doesn't matter, you know. So, um, and that's that's huge, I think, because I think if you're constantly checking the clock, it's just so anxiety-producing. Yeah. So, um, so Yeah. So I, I'm very glad that um, I found your videos and, and the content on your channel is excellent. And um, it really helped me a lot, tremendously. Yeah. So. 
That's great. You know, that that not checking the time during the night, it seems like such a small thing, um, but I think it can really be so helpful because really the, the best possible outcome of checking the clock during the night is no outcome, it's neutral. So it's never really gonna have a positive effect, I don't think. Um, but almost invariably, especially if we're worried about sleep, it's going to lead to worry um, or just an increase in arousal. If nothing else, we have to kind of just figure out in our heads how much time is left till the alarm goes off. And that requires some some brain activity, some additional thought, which we don't need to be concerning ourselves with during the night when we want to be asleep. Um, so I think it can be really helpful. And, you know, using those, anything that you can do or think of that just makes being in bed more pleasant during the night so you know for yourself you said it was welcoming thoughts guided visualizations just remembering pleasant things pleasant memories that can be really helpful too because it just makes being in the bed feel good and i don't mm-hmm. think there's any need to be getting out of bed during the night when being in bed feels good because uh, it means really that conditions are right for sleep so why get out of bed Um, But it's just if you're spending long periods of time in bed and that time doesn't feel good, you know, that's when it can be sometimes more helpful to get out of bed, do a mental reset, you know, maybe watch some TV, listen to music, read a book, anything you can do just to make that wakefulness a bit more pleasant and just, you know, not fall into that trap of firing up all those anxious thoughts, thinking and worrying about sleep, putting pressure on yourself to sleep again during the night. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I would if I woke up and it was a long time and I was really anxious, I would get out of bed for a while um, and come back and it would go on three, four times or whatever. And um, yeah, but it was always, especially when winter set in, fall and winter and the house was kind of cold and I'd have mm-hmm. a place that I would go to with a blanket and, and all of that, but it wasn't pleasant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um but, you know, um, but I think that lying in bed when you're anxious and miserable is really not helpful. I think that's yeah. when you have to get out and get out of bed. And um, But the other thing, too, that um, I found so helpful is when you talked about, um, and I hadn't understood that at all, um, the hyperarousal and the those hypnic jerks. Mm. Um, and I had no idea why I would start to fall asleep and then like have that jerk and um and then when I heard you talking about it and uh, people on your podcast and and things and I was like oh my god like everyone seems to have this and I think you also said the hyper arousal um that's why sometimes you would get up in in the morning and you wouldn't feel that tired because or the during the day because you have this you're in the state of this hyper arousal or I would try to take a nap and I still couldn't sleep and I thought why can't I sleep I didn't sleep all night long and it's now two in the afternoon I still can't get to sleep and so you explained I believe um about this hyper arousal and I my god that again made just so much sense and hearing these other people talking about it it just made me feel like you know, um, normal, that this is a very mm. typical part of insomnia. Yeah, you know, that that inability to nap is something that I come across quite a lot. So we, 
if you have insomnia for a long period of time, you might want to try kind of making up for lost sleep um, by trying to sleep during the day. And then when you try and sleep during the day and you still can't sleep, then you can become really concerned that there's something seriously wrong. Um, but the issue is often, it's often twofold. First of all, there's that heightened arousal, which is always going to make sleep a bit more difficult, requires more time awake to overpower that arousal. Um, and second of all, sometimes it can suggest that we might not actually need some additional sleep. What we might be feeling is fatigue rather than sleepiness. It's so easy to confuse the two. Um, fatigue mm -hmm. doesn't lead to sleep, but sleepiness does lead to sleep. Right. And um, th th those, the hypnic, I think they're called hypnic jerks. And yeah. Those were, I would just be drifting off to sleep and um, then I would just get that and I'd be like, oh, then I'd be wide awake. It was like, that was, I don't know, I guess that was my sleep for the night. I don't know, two seconds or something. Or it was, that was awful. How did you find that you were able to move beyond them? Was it just a case of just accepting that they're going to happen for as long as we have that heightened monitoring, that heightened attention on sleep? Or I think that, um, because that was interesting to me, I thought there was at one point and I said, gee, I don't have that hyper-arousal feeling anymore. I don't have those jerks anymore. Um, but I was still struggling a little bit with sleep. But I could tell that clearly my anxiety level had come down quite a bit. And I attribute that to education from listening to your channel, um, from understanding really what was, what was going on with me. Um, and I was accepting of it. And I said, myself that this is not great right now but I have to be patient and I know that I have made progress not as quickly as I would like but I've made progress I could see that from when I was working with a therapist but it was just very up and down and but still there was progress and I had to hang on to whatever little bits I could um, and so yeah, so I think that all of those things sort of contributed to the anxiety level kind of going down um, and realizing that slowly but surely I was kind of overcoming this, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, um, yeah, that's what the, the, the education piece of this is so, so important. It's so key because once you understand pretty much anything, then it's just a relief and it's kind of like, okay, now I know what's going on. And, um, and I think you're able to just deal with it a little bit better, you know, than, yeah. than saying, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Is there, should I, you know, I had gone for a checkup and my doctor and thinking, Oh, you know, and you know, clearly there was nothing wrong with me, but it was just what was going on here in my brain, um, which was really preventing me from sleeping. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, some people find it just quite comforting to recognize that those jerks tend to happen as we're actually transitioning into sleep. So if nothing else, they show that the, the mind, the body is capable of sleep and it is successfully transitioning into sleep. But it's often that monitoring for sleep that we do when we're really concerned about sleep. So as soon as we kind of drift off, we make that transition, the brain kind of snaps its fingers and says, hey, you fell asleep. Congratulations. 
but obviously that's not very helpful when we want to be actually staying asleep. Um, so that's why we do often see once that arousal, that monitoring starts to fall, those jerks tend to happen less frequently. Um, mm-hmm. So finally, I just wanted to quickly ask you, you know, you talked about how, you know, just really the education, changing the mindset alongside some some behaviors um, were really what you identify as the key to your success. How long did you find, like from the day you found, like, for example, my videos the day from when you started working with a therapist to where you got to this point where you feel like the insomnia is kind of really in the rearview mirror? Um, how, how long was that process, would you say? I'm trying to think. I started working with the therapist um, the end of September, beginning of October. I think it was like maybe October 1st. And that went for eight weeks. Um, so I'd say maybe, I'm trying to think, maybe four, five months, maybe? Four months? Mm-hmm. Um, it was longer than I had thought. I thought by the yeah. end of eight weeks working with a therapist, I would be pretty much over it. Um, but I wasn't. And, um, and I think he was maybe a little surprised too. Um, I don't know why it took me longer. I guess it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you do get, you know, get over it. I hadn't had the insomnia for very long when I started the therapy. It was only a couple of months. Um, but I'd say in this past month, um, is when things really got a lot better that I can say now I get I'm kind of back to normal. Sometimes I don't yeah. want to say it to jinx. I feel like I'll jinx <laughs> it, but my husband, my husband says to me, gee, I think you're really over this now. And I said, I think so. I said, you know, but I don't want to think about it. I, you know, I go to bed and I just kind of fall asleep and, you know, usually. Um, but even, you know, tonight I went to bed and I had a bad night. I just would get up and be okay with it. I'd just be absolutely yeah. fine and say, that's, the way it goes but I would say yeah it was a few months um yeah. you know before I really made the progress that I wanted to make but I and it was frustrating but I um I think it took longer too maybe because I wanted the progress uh to be more so than it was mm-hmm. to go at a quicker pace and I think that's I was getting um kind of I don't know disappointed in myself I, I I felt like oh you know I can't stand this much longer but I I just said you gotta just hang on to any little bit of uh the progress and that's really what's important you know it's not linear it's, it's just sort of up and down and I think from August till now it's about six months I would say yeah. um so yeah, but I'd say the past month has been way better. Maybe a little more than that. Maybe, yeah, maybe a month, maybe a little bit more. So, um, yeah, I think it's but, really helpful for people, you know, to hear you describe that process, you know, that it's not linear, there are ups and downs, that we quite understandably want progress to happen quickly. But we can't control progress. And so sometimes it does take longer than we'd like. Well, often it takes longer than we'd like because we want it to be fixed immediately. Um, but the, the, the problem is we can't control progress, but we can control 
you know, our behaviors and we can explore our thoughts, all these things to perpetuate that sleep disruption. And as long as we continue to do that, we are going to make progress. So we're going to keep moving forward. Um, so it's helpful to just, you know, focus on all the things we can control um, and let the things mm-hmm. we can't control, like sleep, uh, take care of themselves. Um, and, and if we stay on the path, we will always make progress. Some people make progress quickly. Some people take longer but we'll always make that progress as long as we keep moving forward. Um, So, you know, I know I've taken up a lot of your time here. So um, there is just one last question that I do like to ask everyone that comes onto the podcast. So I'd like to ask the question to you as well. Um, And it's this, if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help and they can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? I would tell them immediately to to go to your channel um, to look at all of your videos. They are extremely helpful. Um, your beautiful British accent is very soothing, <laughs> and your whole your whole your whole manner is soothing. It's reassuring, um, and especially to hear you will never lose the ability to sleep. Your body will never lose the ability to sleep. That was like such a relief to hear that because I thought you know. So definitely go to your channel and, and, and hire you as a coach if, if need be, because I think you're very, um, very well educated in this subject and knowledgeable and you've been a tremendous help to me. And I know that you'd be a tremendous help to anyone. So. All right. Well, Pat, I, I really appreciate, appreciate your kind words. You know, as always, I always like to remind people that, have got past insomnia and are not really thinking much about their sleep anymore. That's entirely down to their own efforts because I can give the information out, um, which is what I do, but it's up to people um, to, you know, take it upon themselves to make the changes, to give them a chance um, and to, you know, stay consistent, especially in the short term where you're putting all these, making all these changes and they don't seem to be getting you the rewards or the progress you want. It's so easy to give up. Um, So whenever I, I just, Get, whenever I talk to people like yourself who've experienced this transformation, you know, I'm re- I really admire them because you show that determination, that tenacity. And I do think that you come out of it stronger. You come out of it more resilient, um, not just in sleep, but, you know, in other parts of life too. Maybe you now have shifted focus away from sleep onto other things that actually help you have an even better life. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate your kind words and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Um, I've got no doubt that people listening to this are going to identify with a lot of what you said and hopefully it will motivate them to make some changes and to recognize that all is not lost. Um, there is exactly. a way past insomnia. There is and um, just takes, you know, not to get discouraged, just to keep going, moving forward and uh, they'll get there. Yeah, so. Great. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to implement evidence-based cognitive and behavioral techniques to improve your sleep, but think you might need some additional support and guidance, I would love to help. There are two ways we can work together. First, you can get my online coaching course. This is the most popular option. My course combines sleep education with individualized coaching and is guaranteed to improve your sleep. You will learn new ways of thinking about sleep 
and implement better sleep habits over a period of eight weeks. This gives you time to build sleep confidence and notice results without feeling overwhelmed. You can get the course and start right now at insomniacoach.com forward slash online. I also offer a phone coaching package where we start with a one hour call. This can be voice only or video, your choice, and we come up with an initial two week plan that will have you implementing cognitive and behavioral techniques that will lead to long term improvements in your sleep. You get unlimited email based support and guidance for two weeks after the call, along with a half hour follow up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep. <laughs>